True Neighbor Podcast. My name is Tom Breyer. I'm especially excited about this episode today because the topic is one that I could talk about for hours. Basketball. I grew up with basketball. I played in high school, played in college. My heroes growing up were people like Allen Iverson, Jerry McNamara, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant. Watching March Madness and the NBA Finals was a staple in the Briar in the Briar household. I remember driving home from Philadelphia during the summer of 2016 on Father's Day to watch Game Seven of the NBA Finals between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors, and it feels like yesterday. And I can remember it so vividly: the block that LeBron James had in the closing seconds of Game Seven. But basketball for me has been not only a source of entertainment, but it's been really my source of friendship. When I got to law school, playing basketball was how I got to know people at Penn State. Same was true in college. Same was true when my family moved from Scranton, Pennsylvania to Hershey in 2004. The game of basketball has played a major role in my life, which is why I was so excited for this episode because my guests are Don Friday and Clinton Asalu, the coach and captain of this year's Penn State Harrisburg men's basketball team and the 2020 Northeastern Athletic Conference champions. Unlike many college basketball teams across the country who did not get a chance to compete in the playoffs, and for that matter, unlike all spring sport athletes who didn't get a chance to play a single game this year, Penn State Harrisburg not only captured their first league title in school history, but they did it with a major upset in the NCAA tournament. At least, as you'll hear Clinton say in this episode, Penn State expected to win the game, so they didn't view it as an upset. But nonetheless, after coming off a league title, they faced the number two seed in Johns Hopkins in the first round of the NCAA tournament, and they won in double overtime. But what makes that game so unique is that for perhaps the first time in college basketball history, no fans were allowed to attend the game, a decision that reflected the increasing severity of the novel coronavirus pandemic and one that the team learned just hours before tip-off. It's been said that sports serve society by providing vivid examples of excellence. That is certainly true when you look at this year's Penn State Harrisburg men's basketball team. In this episode, you'll hear examples of excellence in leadership, coaching, work ethic, and teamwork. As the late Kobe Bryant said, dedication sees dreams come true. In the case of Penn State Harrisburg this year, that was certainly the case. Dedication saw the dream of a league title come true. And whether you're a basketball fan or not, or a sports fan or not, the story that Coach Friday and Clinton tell about their season is one that you won't forget. So without further ado, I bring you our next true neighbors, Don Friday and Clinton Asalu. All right, I'm here with Coach Don Friday and Clinton Asalu. This is a podcast I've been looking forward to for a long time. Fellas, thanks for coming on the podcast. Right. Great Thank to be here. Thank you for having us. Coach Friday, I, I have a trivia question for you to start. Do you remember our very first conversation? Do you remember where we were? This is probably 10 years ago. So it, was, it wasn't at Granada, was it? It wasn't. Oh, okay. You ready? I'm ready. Could it, could it have been at the Lycoming College team basketball camp? No, but that's close. <laughs> it was at so it was at East Pennsboro High School. It was after we lost our last district game in high school, and you were there for Scotty Scott Etherton, who uh, one of the best players to come out of Hershey in a long time. And you told me to sleep with my jersey on because the last time I would wear it. Do you remember that? I do remember it. If I'm not mistaken, it was on that locker room. The locker room was out the door, and it was a ramp there with a railing. Am I correct? That's exactly right. Yep. Yeah. And I did too. Yeah, I never, never forgot that. Um, you know, we, so. we say to our seniors, 
and, and Clinton can attest to this too, when after your last game in your career, that's a really traumatic, it's hard to say goodbye. And especially for your seniors that give a lot to the game and that all of a sudden that abruptness. And I always say to your guys, when you take it off, it'll never go back on the same way ever again. So when you cross that threshold, soak it in and, and, and appreciate it and savor it for as long as you can. And I think that Clinton, who's on the other side of this podcast with us, I think he'll tell you now he went through that feeling not so, not so long ago with us. Yep. Yeah. What say. was that like? What was that like, Clinton? I mean, I want to talk in more detail about your run here, but you know, was it a few days after that last game that you kind of were uh, still on your mind? Yeah, it was definitely uh, the last few days, especially coming home um, for uh, spring break right after the, uh, the game at John Hopkins, you know, I sat at home and I'm like, I really am not going to get the opportunity to play another collegiate game, you know, especially with the group of guys that we had, um, amazing group of guys, you know, they challenged me, they made me better. And, you know, one of the best basketball teams I ever played with. And it's crazy, you know, my final year, I got to play with these guys, but I don't, I won't get an opportunity to play college basketball ever again. Mm. Well, you certainly did a Peyton Manning and went out on top. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I, I, uh, I'm excited to talk about your season at length because you guys had a historic year. I was telling Clinton before you hopped on, Coach, that you remind me of the 0176ers when they had the Coach of the Year, the MVP, Sixth Man of the Year, and the Defensive Player of the Year. I think that's the yeah, only that, team in NBA history to have all those records. Would that have been Matumbo, Aaron yeah, McKee, Aaron yep. McKee, Allen Iverson, Larry Brown? Man, you're a pro. Just a bas- true basketball fan right there. Uh, but let's, let's talk a little bit about your backgrounds. Coach Friday, um, you've coached at every level you've coached, uh, you know, I've seen now, you you mentioned Lycoming earlier. So D1, D3, I've seen you at high school pickup. Um, you've been in Pennsylvania, outside Pennsylvania. Can you tell us a little bit about your path to Penn State Harrisburg and, and what led you to the, um, to the point that you're in right now? I've always been able to be around really, really good people. And I've been the beneficiary of being around some great, great players that have afforded me the opportunity to stay in the coaching profession. The person that was very, very impactful for me, the people I should say, would be my parents and my grandparents, really instilled the work value and the work ethic in me and about the, about the whole concept of an honest day's effort and, you know, treating whatever you were doing, giving it the best of your ability. And Pat Flannery, who was the head coach at Lebanon Valley when I was a senior there, he gave me an opportunity to get into the coaching business and get my master's. And what I was able to do was I was able early in my career, Tom, I listened a lot. I kept my mouth shut. I worked as hard as I could. And I I tried to be perfect, Uh, which being perfect is good and bad because you can beat yourself up because there's a learning curve with young people when you're getting in any kind of profession. But at the same time, when you're trying to be perfect and do it the right way with total quality, you're going to get it right more times than you're not going to get it right. So you don't have all those do-overs. Everywhere I've been, though, I think the one common thread has been, it's been about relationships and about trying to recruit people to a mission treating those people the right way. Uh, And what I mean by that is, hey, the right way is what the situation calls for. Uh, In good times, you're gonna gonna celebrate things and when things aren't going good, you're gonna have to make adjustments and you're gonna have to demand things of people. Some people embrace being uncomfortable, others fight it. And what I have found, Clinton can attest with this year, we had the right people on the bus, we got the right people off the bus, and we had the right people who were on the bus in the correct seats, then we went in a direction and that direction ended up being winning. So it's something I've tried to try my whole career. I've gotten it right at times and there's times I've failed. I think that when you get it right, you appreciate it, you try to do it better. When you fail, you look to, you look, you go back, you analyze, you assess, and then you re, replan and, and execute a new mission. And that's where I've been, and I've been grateful to be in this business now for 30-plus years. Well, it, clearly, it's those lessons have paid off, you know, coming off a season with a, 
a championship and a major upset in the first round of the NCAAs. Uh, it's a good segue to Clinton. Clinton, tell us a little bit about your background. Where did you play in high school? What led you to decide on Penn State Harrisburg as the place you wanted to play? Uh, tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, so um, I think I can go back to my uh, senior year. Um, I didn't really have uh, too many colleges looking at me, um, but I knew that wherever I was going to go to college, uh, I wanted to. I wanted it to be paid for. Um, I was I was always a smart kid, but I love basketball. So um, one of my friends uh, went to Penn State Harrisburg and uh, let me know about Coach Friday's camp. And um, I w- went up there. I think it was the fall, the the fall camp that he usually has. And you know, I did my thing, and you know. I think I think it was that moment where I coach. I, I can't remember if you remember this, but um, we were playing uh, five on five, and it was full court. And I went up uh, for a chase down block on on some kid. Um, but that at that moment, you know, it was it was just a good feeling of you know that energy, that drive I had. And I think that was what um, Coach Friday wanted on his team. Um, so going into Penn State, I. I didn't think I could do it at some point, but you know things worked out where I was able to receive a, um, a full scholarship um, through uh, the Office of Multicultural Recruitment at Penn State, um, and that worked out. So, getting to Penn State Harrisburg, that was that was the hard part um, for me. But you know, working hard on the team, working hard within Coach Friday's uh, program, that's something that that everybody should understand. That you know, when you get on the team, you should be able to buy into that system. Um, so that was my journey getting into Penn State. Um, now, once we, we're getting here to how I got to, the, to 2020, Clinton, um, it's, it was a journey. And Coach Friday can attest to that, that, you know, freshman year team, we had our ups and downs. Um, and I was always somebody that, that was uh, driven to be able like, to, to speak up um, if I didn't see something right. Um, and Coach saw that in me and, you know, he, he ran with it as well. Um, we didn't get to where we wanted to my freshman year team, and but I was I was always somebody that wanted to to do more. So I focused a lot on academics, a lot of extracurriculars, and um, for for reasons, um, I left the team my freshman year, um, just because I wanted to continue on do internships and co-ops and whatnot, which I did um, over two three years before I came back as a fifth year senior um, this this school year. And when Coach gave me that call last March, I think it was around. Uh, around last week, last March, um, he he called me and was like, "Hey, you know, is there something that you feel as though you want to accomplish or or finish?" And at first, I didn't know what he was talking about, <laughs> but then you know, we talked more, and it was like, "Why not finish what I started in college?" You know, I've never been a person not to finish something, and you know, came back on the team and. I knew my place, you know, when Coach Friday was was talking just now about got the right people on the bus, got the right people off the bus, got people in the right seat. Coach Friday has an away, uh, away with analogies that, you know, that that honestly describes our team perfectly, that we got we have people that know what they what what their place is, know what their job is. And they're, they do it constantly every single day, every single game. They bring it all the time and they understand who is who who we need to get the ball to. And that's, that's how our team runs. And we continually move forward. Um, so getting on this team, I didn't expect to be a, a leader or a captain my, um, just coming back because these guys didn't know me for a can of paint. You know, they, they saw me on campus once in a while, but, you know, being able, being, being able to, to just impart that, you know, that elderly, quote unquote, elderly leadership with them and, you know, be that type of veteran for them um, that was something that I'm happy Coach Friday allowed me to do. And it was, it, it happened naturally. You know, these guys were, these, they're amazing, amazing students, amazing students on the court and off the court. And uh, we were able to do amazing things this year because of that, because they, they all bought into Coach Friday's plan. We all worked together and we all uh, kept it moving. I'll tell you from an outsider's perspective, like mine, I've known Coach Friday now for a little bit. Clinton, you and I met last fall, but you both remind me of, you know, you look at really good teams, whether in college or in the pros, there's usually with those elite teams, a really strong match in personality between the best player or like the leader on the team and the coach. And so whether that's Brad Stevens and Gordon Hayward, whether that's uh, Tim Duncan and Greg Popovich, there's usually a real continuity between the captain and the coach and the culture that they're trying to create. And I get that sense 
from the both of you with your energy and your focus on culture that that alignment existed. Is that fair to say, Coach? Uh, 100%. And if I can give a little bit of background and, you know, Clinton kind of hinted around this. Clinton's a really talented young adult, uh, engineer. He's got a background in business. He was involved in student government. He was involved in the uh, fraternity here on campus. So he, he was involved in a lot of groups. I would say, in my opinion, he's one of the best students that Penn State Harrisburg has had in a long time. I think he set the bar. I named him after that freshman year. And what was a shock to me was I had named him a captain. And then middle of the summer, he had come back and said, I, you know, I have some other things I want to do. I'm going to be doing internships. I need flexibility. And at that time, it was hard for us to do some of the things that Clinton was going to need to do, where he was going to be away for weeks and weekends. And so he stepped away. So you can imagine the disappointment I had to, I was ready. I named this guy a captain after one year with him as a freshman. He leaves and it was hard. And, you know, sometimes when kids leave, it doesn't always end well, right? There's a bit of resentment, whether it be playing time or opportunity, but he maintained a level of great professionalism and respect. And, and I kept the same with him and I would see him come in and out of the building, et cetera. Fast forward to last year. I knew I had a really young team coming back. I was going to be all freshmen and sophomores. I needed somebody also with a physical presence. I needed somebody that has been through the classroom successfully. I needed somebody that was involved in the community. And I need to make sure that our bus was heading in the right direction on the court, off the court, whether it's two o'clock in the afternoon or two o'clock in the morning. I needed a guy that was going to be able to show our young kids how to do that. Clinton what he did on the floor for us this year, what he did in the locker room, what he did in the group text, what he did for leadership in the classroom cannot be understated. And nights like the win over Johns Hopkins and days like the win over Lancaster Bible, his impact and his fingerprint on that will never show up in a statistic. But if you ask my coaches and if you ask our players, they will point to Clinton's involvement. So it all worked out the right way, in my opinion. Well, let's walk back to, so back in October, say like October 15th, Clinton, what was the mindset like from the player's perspective? Were you going in thinking that your ceiling and, you know, the expectation should be a title? Was this kind of a game by game, let's see how this goes type of mindset? What was, from a player's standpoint, your thought process leading up to the year? So I would... I would say, you know, coming back a little bit before um, our preseason, um, if I can take it back there, you know, yeah. the way our team came in 6 a.m. in the mornings and we would we would get at it in the, in the weight room. We would get at it in, in conditioning. You know, that was that was something that was completely, you know, it was a 180 from the, my freshman year team. Um, and it. it just a shout out to the the Penn State uh, Harrisburg men's baseball team as well because they were like they were a little uh, a little bit of role models to us because we would we would go in there at six a.m. Mind you, the gym doesn't open till seven a.m. The baseball team was ready in there since four thirty five or so, and we see them putting up heavy weights and we we saw what they did last year, and they they made a lot of noise in in the league last year and we we took that to heart and six a.m. is always there working out getting right at it, you know, and then after that, we'll go downstairs and uh, do some conditioning. And then, you know, after that, in the evening, in the afternoon time, we'll play pickup just to, you know, get our wins together, get our chemistry together. And that all led up to, you know, our, uh, our practice on October 15th, you know, when we first started, you know, it, I saw the difference of, of this team than my freshman year team, you know, these guys, they were hungry, they wanted it. And I, I wanted, and I wanted it as much as they did as well. You know, they, it wasn't, it turned from okay. Let me see how, how I can, you know, just play my part with these uh, with these freshmen and sophomores. To now, like, these guys want to work. These guys want something. They're hungry. I, I want it just as much as they do. So you know, over over the uh, the course of the year, you know, we kept going at it at each other. You know, it wasn't it, it wasn't as much as arguing and all that stuff. We when it, when it came to practice time, we were all locked in, and that's something that coach, you know, he he always harped on being locked in every single day, you know, and even when we got to February, um, 
it was in January. We showed we showed what we can do. I believe in January is when we we went on an eight game winning streak or so, and then after that it was February. We ran we we wiped off everything from before that, and coach had the saying February focus. Um, February focus allowed us to dance in March, and that that was something that you know has never been done in any um in any uh, Penn State Harrisburg basketball team, and I'm happy that the, the team that we had, you know, the team that I had this year, it, it's it's indelible. That's the word, indelible. A mark that cannot be removed. No, it's and I mean it's a testament to even your recognition as a leader that this started back in the summer, right? It's workouts, it's not just practice, but it's the mindset and the energy and showing up early for practice, you know, being excited about getting in the gym. But coach, at the same time, there's always, you know, ups and downs throughout the course of a year. What were some of the challenges that your team faced this year, whether it was injury or strength of schedule? What were some of the, you know, burdens that you had to get through to ultimately be playing in a title game? You know, when you go through any successful year, there are ups and downs and there's moments where you're challenged and tested. Uh, the first part though, and I would say thinking about Clinton, when we, when we reintroduced Clinton back to our program, there was not a single guy in our team that had played with him before. And they had known Clinton more so through the student body or, you know, he, he had been off doing internships and different things with his academic and his career pursuit, I knew what we were getting in terms of leadership, energy, commitment to the mission, doing the right thing each time. I knew that, but I think Clinton can reinforce this too. We talked about it was I wasn't able just to say when he came back in, hey, lead. What I talked to him about was, hey, as we introduce you back into this, I don't have to name you a leader. These guys will start to see what you'll bring. So that was one part of it. And I think about midway through the, the fall, as we got into early November, mid-November, like these guys started to see that just the way he handled himself, because it was like having another adult on the team with Clinton. Now, we said about, instead of talking about winning championships, we, we had a simple saying, right? behave like champions. So when we brought it in and we put our hands in after every practice, we'd say, hey, behave like champions. Well, how do champions behave? Hey, they're on time. They look out for teammates. They do the right thing. They're supportive. They do their role. And if their role is to be X, Y, and Z, then they want to be a superstar at X, Y, and Z. Having the people in place, having leadership in place, having our young guys starting to emerge as we ran into some, some stumbling blocks. The second game of the year, Brandon Coleman tore his cartilage in his knee on a real simple play. It was just a rebound and a pivot, and he collapsed. We thought maybe it would be a you know a short-term injury. It, it ended up to be a, a season-ending injury for him. So that was the first thing. That was one of our, outside of Clinton, it was the only other upperclassman we had in our program was Brandon Coleman. So... Now, all of a sudden, right, Clinton's role as an upperclassman voice becomes even more important because I had Donye Baylor-Carroll, who's a sophomore. And he's, if you know Donye, his play and his leadership is through his approach, through the way he plays, through the way he carries himself. He's not a man of many words. He's, he's a guy that is going to go out and, you know, do as I do, not as I say. Clinton brought that other approach into the locker room. So that was really important when that first injury went down. We had a guy that helped us get through those hurdles. And I thought our guys really rallied. I, I can't imagine the impact that Clinton and the older the other guys had on kids like Chris Haynes that, you know, Chris was a freshman that we thought could be a role player coming off the bench for us a little bit here and there. All of a sudden, Brandon Coleman's injury changes that. And there's a new dynamic in the lineup. And these guys handled that magnificently. Then we had some, we had an injury to Donye, a high ankle sprain on the road at Washington College. He wasn't quite himself for about three or four weeks. We had the flu hit us over the Christmas holidays. We had a long break over the holidays. So we came out of the non-league portion, Clinton, right? It was We were five and five, lost some tough games on the road down Elizabethtown. And the one thing our kids didn't do, we didn't point fingers, we didn't blame, we didn't make excuses. We, we stayed the course. We'd go on an eight game win streak after a, 
a huge we had a huge setback against SUNY SUNY Cobleskill at home. Uh, how many head coaches do you know that you're up 25 at halftime and lose? And uh, we did everything we could do to try to stop the bleeding. And uh, I look back on that. We were playing around with a matchup zone at the time, and our guys were not really getting it, and we weren't being the best team we could be. And I swallowed my pride, and I, I leaned on my assistant coach, Jeff Frank, who had worked with uh, Hofstra and at Niagara. They ran a pretty good 2-3 zone. I think sometimes good leadership is knowing what your strengths are and allowing people and surrounding yourself with people that have those strengths. And we worked on a 2-3 bumping zone, similar to like a Syracuse, with a little bit of some different adjustments. And we started getting good at it. And what I really liked about it was I saw that our kids rallied around it. They, they embraced it and they worked at it. And I think that the combination of, you know, Brandon Coleman's injury, Clinton's leadership stepping up, Chris Haynes playing his role, some of our young guys really coming along, the adversity with Skill, we put the zone in, we run eight games off in a row, Gallaudet comes up and smacks us at home, and that's where we talked about, hey, we lost a little bit of our February focus. We, re we recalibrate it, and I don't think, Clinton, we took another play or another practice for granted where we didn't bring our A game of respect, and we saw that going through the playoffs. And uh, it was a fun journey, but there was times where, okay, we have a challenge ahead of us. How do we respond? And our kids responded like true champions do and rolled up our sleeves focused on the task at hand, did what we need to do, and supported each other. And that's why we are in this position we're in today. You know, let's, um, I want to pretend now, fast forward a little bit to February 29th. And just as a perspective for people listening, when we're talking about the coronavirus, the front page of the New York Times said that the market had its worst week since 2008. There was an ongoing discussion at the national level over the severity of the virus. Your team is coming off its first ever NEAC title against Lancaster Bible. You're looking ahead at Johns Hopkins as coming off a big upset in the Centennial Conference Championship against Swarthmore. So they're coming in as a two seed at home. At what point in that week between your conference title and the first round of the NCAA tournament did you learn of the fact that you would have to be playing without fans because of the virus and what was the general discussion like among the team as to kind of taking that situation day by day i mean to walk us through a little bit just the um the environment the atmosphere what kind of conversations were going on how were you viewing johns hopkins from a preparation standpoint uh clinton what was that week like leading up to that game honestly i don't think we um I don't think we we changed anything. Yeah, we we didn't change our game plan. We didn't change it. it coach Coach said this um, in, in February. Um, at some point, um, Coach, if I'm if if I'm correct in uh, quoting you right, when you are inside those lines, that's all that matters. Yeah, the difference between people who are watching you, and and the people who are actually playing on the court. So when you're on the court, it doesn't matter who's in the stands. So we didn't find out that we were going to be uh playing uh with no fans until the day of honestly they had they had uh they had a few um they had a few times where they said that we might not even play at all or they'll push the game back and da, da, da. but um we didn't find that out until you know after afterwards because coach and, and uh, his coaching staff did a great job of like look tune everything out you know don't worry about the news don't worry about uh, who's calling you about, hey, you know, can I come to the game? Or don't worry about all that. You know, we came here to play, and that's the only thing that matters. Doesn't matter who's, it doesn't matter if it's one person in the stands, doesn't matter if it's 100,000 people in the stands, you came to play. And, you know, when you're, when you're in those, when you're in those lines, that's all that matters. Only, only those other four people on the court with you, your other teammates that matters, you know, you can just keep playing. Coach, is that uh, how you viewed it as well? It, this is just another game? Well, it wasn't another game, but what I wanted to do, and, and the point I made to Clinton and to the team 
before we played against Lancaster Bible and Morrisville State at home because it's the first time we were going to be in a moment where we knew there was going to be a big crowd and you always get worried about your guys playing to the crowd. And we talked about it. We said, hey, it's like the gladiators, right? There's people in the crowd that are watching the gladiators, but the gladiators between those lines, it's about between the lines. The minute you start looking into the crowd and admiring what's going on in the crowd, you're going to be taken out if you're a gladiator, right? So you have to be locked in and focused at, at the task at hand. There was times throughout the week. The first smoldering of smoke that we got was on Tuesday. There was a, a, an article in the New York Times and the New York Post where a professor and a faculty, excuse me, a faculty member and a student had tested positive for COVID-19. We didn't quite know what was going on. We we didn't quite know what was going on with that. So what what we did was we went business as usual. On the way down to John Hopkins, and this is where it started to take a little bit of a turn. So as these different curveballs were coming up, Tom, I tried to take that pressure off of our guys. And I didn't want our guys to have to overanalyze. I wanted us to stay focused on the game. So the first, the first curveball that we got was our bus had a flat tire on the way to Johns Hopkins. We were 15 minutes away. We're, I can tell you about the, uh, the trickery of the, uh, the split at I-695 and I-83 South outside of Baltimore because we were stuck there for an hour and a half. When we called ahead to Johns Hopkins to tell them that our bus had broke down because of a flat tire and that we were in the process of getting a new bus sent, they mentioned to me, they said, hey, well, you could probably take Yeshiva's shoot-around time because there's a possibility they're not going to let them play. So now I knew there was some things going on at the higher level of the NCAA, Johns Hopkins, and Yeshiva. We got there that night. We got to the hotel, got settled in. We went over and we did our, our practice from 7 o'clock to 8.30. At that point, Yeshiva came in after us. And, you know, we thought it was going to be business as usual. They called us and they said, listen, we're going to do our uh, we're going to do our NCAA tournament conference call at 9 o'clock. And... We went ahead with that as planned. So that call ended, Tom, at around 9.15 that night. And everybody was in agreement. The games were going to be played. And we were good to go. We, got the, we, we, took a, uh, we took the team out to dinner uh, there at the Inner Harbor in Baltimore. We went to a real nice Italian spot, got back at 10.30, put them down, and said, we'll get up tomorrow morning and we'll go to our shoot-around at uh, 10 o'clock at Hopkins. I got up at quarter to six and I had like 34 text messages. And the first one I read was, sorry about your game. I hear it's quarantined. So we found out, I found out about quarter to six in the morning that we weren't playing with fans. So now we went right into that whole mode again of, hey, it's between the lines, focus on the game. We talked to our guys then that morning about we must bring energy and we got to bring a great level of enthusiasm the whole game now to offset the crowd and to stay in the moment. And our guys performed magnificently with that the whole game. That's what I find one of the coolest parts about this story is that you know, you're playing a game with no fans, but the game itself was riveting. I mean, double overtime, you score over 100 points. It's back and forth the entire time. You're down double digits at one point. Uh, you have, you know, Danye drops a career high 45. I mean, if fans were there, they would have been going nuts. But even though they weren't, the energy was still as high as it probably could have been. Clinton, what what was your, you know, walk us through the game. Like, what, what was it like to play in that environment? Did you feel good the whole time about your chances? Uh, just what were some of your major takeaways from that game against Hopkins? It was the most awkward game in my life. Um, I'll be honest. Um, I've never been, you know, it, it was it was like a pickup game, honestly, uh, because you had nobody, you had nobody else there. You just, I mean, yeah, you had a ref, but still, it's just empty. And, but going through the whole entire game, you know, we, we, we came, we came out um, and, you know, it, it felt as though, we had to get our jitters out. Um, and I remember, you know, we had a turning point, you know, we were playing, so we played some great uh, defense, you know, working that uh, defensive zone, um, that two, three defensive zone that we got. And 
you know, at some point, um, one of their other players, uh, I think it was Connor Delaney, went down, and everybody painted it, painted it as if uh, that was their savior, da 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 da, and you know, you know, things happened, um, and we kept going, we kept going, and after that, you know, we we went on a good run, um, and I remember just Donye just going ham, you know, he he was. He, he, he's a different type of player, you know. Dye was somebody who doesn't matter what is going on that get me the ball, you know. And when he coach called that timeout, he told he told Coach Friday, hey, just give me the ball. And, you know, and we're going to we're going to make this we're going to make it happen. And Dye just did his thing. And we all rallied around him. Look, everybody did their part. We 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 moved the ball that we're supposed to, you know, and it wasn't as much of an upset, I would say, because we came in there ready to play as as much as they were ready to play. You know, it, it, it didn't matter, you know, if we were the underdogs or so. We knew we were a great basketball team. It was just two great basketball teams playing against each other. I wouldn't say it was an upset at all, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, the, the media is going to say what they're, uh, they're going to say. But I know that they're going to remember us next year. And they're, and now now that we've done that, we have a target on that back. And we have to continue on, continue on going. Clinton, do you remember how we ended our uh, shoot around, our walkthrough? Do you, remember what we, what play, do you remember what play we ran that we said we were going to be in this situation at the end of regulation to win it? Football, football go? Oh, man. Yes, I remember football go, yeah. And we had that we had that look, mm-hmm. and their kid their kid made an incredible tap behind, but we had Zegary Scott isolated with our guy Nate Curry coming down the middle of the lane to win the game, and they made it. But what we talked about, Tom, was just about having a belief and going into that situation that we knew it was going to be a dogfight and it was going to come down to a possession at the end. And once once we even went into the first after we went in overtime for that first one, our kids came to the bench like, we're going to win this game. Uh, we, we're, this is winning time. And it was a really, really cool experience. Uh, you know, Tom, when, when you know you have people that are committed, and I'm sure as you're going through your campaign right now, and you know you know you have the right people on the bus with you. Uh, in the first half, that freshman I was telling you about, Chris Haynes, went down with an Achilles injury where we didn't know the severity of it. And he got he got in a collision and was having tightness and stiffness in it. He sobbed on the bench at halftime, apologizing to me that he let us down, that he couldn't play anymore. And I said it was just the opposite, that we were going to rally around him. And when you got that kind of buy-in and you have that kind of commitment and you have somebody that loves what you're doing, you know you're in the right, you know you're in the right company of the right people. And I just admire the way our guys rallied around Chris and the way Chris rallied around, you know, to pay it forward. Chris rallied around Brandon Coleman when he went down. And then our guys, it was their time to rally around Chris Haynes. And, you know, when you have young men that work so hard and give so much time and effort to the game, it's not surprising what these outcomes are because, you know, the basketball gods, they're going to reward the right guys. And if you're fraudulent in the way you prepare, you cannot be, you, you can't be surprised when things don't go your way. And there was just a great belief. Uh, Nate Curry was a guy that was the rookie of the year for us and also a first team all league player. He had five points against Morrisville State and he couldn't throw the ball in the ocean if he was on a, if he was on the beach up at Morrisville, the last regular season game. He asked me, he said, coach, can we get in the gym and, and shoot tomorrow? This was coming back from Morrisville State on Saturday night. I said, well, Nate, the gym's tied up tomorrow from 10 o'clock on because of softball and baseball, and they were going to do some activities and track. He said, well, how does 7.45 a.m. tomorrow work for you, coach? I said, Nate, I'll be there. We worked out from 7.45 till about 9 o'clock, and he went through a workout that what champions do. The next game against Morrisville State, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't miss a lot of shots, and he didn't score five. I think he scored five points in the first two minutes and went on to like a, you know, a 20 point game. So there's reasons why things happen. You know, Clinton Asalu's preparation, Chris Haynes's preparation, Donye Baylor Carroll's commitment and belief in himself, right? Right on down the line, my staff and what they do. There's reasons why winning is a byproduct of all those things. So going back to that whole thing, behave like champions, that's how champions behave. And and I know you stand for those things yourself, Tom. Well, there's that, uh... 
you know, that famous quote, my coach at Dickinson used to use it all the time, coach ready. Uh, I find that the harder I work, the luckier I get. And I mean, it, I think that's the perfect uh, summation of your season is you work your tail off from day one. You get guys in the gym in the morning, even during playoffs. Uh, you have ups and downs, but you recover from it. And then you come through as league champs and win in a, an NCAA playoff game. Uh, and what's just incredible about it is, you know, aside from the season itself, you do it during a really generational crisis. Uh, there's a lot going on in this country. And, you know, even you mentioned coach about not even knowing whether you were going to play the game. Um, that's not something that any coach really would expect to have to deal with in, a, in their career. And so it's a testament to the two of you and to the culture you created that, you know, even in turmoil that you had no control over, you still came out the other side just as you had planned to. Yeah, I, I, I think the one thing I've taken from this is I kept our guys, I tried to keep as much of that distraction off our guys, and I'm glad I did. You know, we all know people that they always operate in those environments of calamity or it's always crisis mode and they want, it validates you at times. And this was one of those times here where I was like, I don't want, I don't want them to know what we're dealing with right now. I just want them to focus on playing basketball. We'll handle the administrative stuff. We'll handle the legal stuff. You know, uh, to, to, to my point, Worcester WPI, Worcester Poly Institute, they were in our hotel as well. They were dealing with this whole idea of playing against Yeshiva and the concept of COVID. They had two starters that elected not to play, and they had two, two key bench players in their rotation. They went home. So there they were, you know, in a crisis mode. And, you know, I heard a great quote the other day. In times of crisis, bad teams are consumed by them. Good teams survive them. Great teams thrive in them. And I wanted to make sure that we were going to be able to thrive in a crisis moment. It's a great line. I might just steal that one. Is that all right? Absolutely. <laughs> I think it's uh, the gentleman from Intel, the CEO. That's a great one. Well, um, it's an amazing story. I want to end with a, uh, a little quick hitter. We're going to see if there's a generational difference between the way you guys view NBA legends. Okay. And so I'm going to name two guys, just either or. Clinton, I'll start with you, and we'll see. I got 10, 10 duos here, and we'll see how many you agree on, all right? So it's just, it's just if you had to um, pick one guy that you're starting a team with, and you have both of these in their prime, who would you pick, okay? All right, so I'll start with the hardest one probably. Jordan or LeBron? In their prime? In their prime. <laughs> Jordan. Coach? Michael Jordan. All right. So first one in agreement. Okay. Second one. Coach, I'll start with you. Shaq or Kareem? I'm going Shaq. Really? I got to go Kareem, coach. <laughs> <laughs> Skyhook. Okay. Man. All right. Yeah. All right, number three, Clinton. Uh, Tim Duncan or Dirk Nowitzki? Tim. Oh, that was Definitely quick. Tim. Yeah. Automatic. Tim. Huh? Tim Duncan. Okay. Number four, Coach uh, Jason Kidd or Gary Payton? Gary Payton. Why is that? I think he mentored. I think he mentored Jason Kidd. As a matter of fact, I read a great story where J uh, Jason Kidd talked about he couldn't stop Peyton in practice when they were when he was a rookie, and if he got one stop like on every five or six times he guarded him, he counted that as a major victory until mm. he could get his defense up. How about you, Clinton? Uh, yeah, I'm going to say Gary Payton too. Yeah, it's that tough. That's that, it's that tough love, man. Working with them, man. Trying to trying to make him battle tested. All right, taking the glove. Okay, um, Clinton. This one. Start with you on this one. Uh, Dwayne Wade or Vince Carter? Nah, I love Dwayne Wade. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, Dwayne, Dwayne Wade. 
Coach? D. Wade. Tom, I sat behind the Sixers bench. I took Donnie. Donnie's favorite team was the Heat growing up. It was Shaq and D. Wade. And I sat one row behind the Heat's be- or the Sixers bench watching Dwayne Wade play down there in Philly, right? They were talking in timeouts about taking Dwayne Wade out, like not letting him touch this, not doing that, you know, not letting him see it here. And he just obliterated Philly. And it wasn't like he, it wasn't like he was sneaking up on anybody. He did whatever he wanted to do. So incredible player. Sounds like he, he would have had a seat on the bus, wouldn't he? He hey, Listen, he might have been driving the bus. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Clinton, Steph Curry or Allen Iverson? Steph. AI got the handle, but Steph got the shot. Okay, man. I mean, Iverson is the – he has the scoring record in the past 20 years, doesn't he? 33 a game? Oh, no, maybe that's Kobe. Okay, but he's taking Steph. How about you, Coach? I'm taking Steph. Okay. I right, admire – I just admire the way he plays. I mean, this is a guy in college. You think about it. He took Davidson to the cusp of going to the Final Four. And, I mean, there was – remember the guy uh, at Loyola, Patsos? Triple teamed him in a college game. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody's ever done that. Okay, Coach, I'll start with you on this one. Um, Kyrie Irving or John Stockton? Stockton. No brainer? No brainer. Clinton? Kyrie, I'm a new school. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, is Stockton one of the most underrated players of all time? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Change his just his ability with the ball and you know an extension of his body, his change his speeds, getting from point A to point B. Right, I mean everything was a pick and roll. I mean they knew it was coming, and he still he still made the right reads and, and played. I was watching. Now, you know, now that we have no NBA or college for that matter, I'm watching a lot of YouTube videos and just did a deep dive on John Stockton. Man, he was. I don't know, Clinton. You might reconsider after <laughs> watching some Michael, of those videos. Michael, we call a random. We call our random ball screens, we call it jazz. So, and there's a little bit of because of Malone and, and Stockton. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. Um, all right, Clinton, I'll start with you on this one. Ray Allen or Reggie Miller? Oh, that's a very good one. Um, hmm. In their prime, I'm, t- I'm taking Ray Allen. Coach? Yeah. You know... Recently, I, I know that Spike Lee was getting hassled at the Garden. Kind of brought back good memories of Reggie <laughs> Reggie Miller hassled. I'm going Reggie Miller. No titles though. Is that how, how much does that matter to you? I know. I'm, listen, I'm just going on principle. I got to pick somebody from my generation. <laughs> I respect it. <laughs> All right. This is uh, these last two are both new generations, so no pressure, Coach. Uh, I'll go with you on this one. Uh, Tony Parker or Chris Paul? Tony Parker. Yeah. That was quick. Yeah, he didn't listen, he didn't try to break into his old team's locker rooms and start any fights <laughs> or any drama. I love it. Total yeah, principle. T- Clinton, how about you? <laughs> I'm taking Tony Parker too, man. What he what he did to against the Miami Heat, man. <laughs> <laughs> Had me mad, but hey, he's he's an elite player right there. Last one. Clinton, I'll go with you on this one. And it's a timely one because you guys were in your season when he passed away. But Kobe Bryant or Kevin Durant? Kobe Bean. Definitely Kobe Bean. Yep. Coach? Kobe Bryant. You know, sad that we appreciated him, but we didn't really know how much we appreciated him when we had him. Yep. And uh, I think, and Clinton will tell you this too, right? You saw the way that affected so many people. Uh, so many walks of life from high school to NBA all-stars to NBA greatest players to corporate people. Uh, Man, just an incredible, uh, incredibly sad story and also an incredibly powerful thing about how he impacted people. Yeah. Clinton, what was, what was it like, uh, you know, being your senior year? What was, um, what'd you guys talk about when Kobe passed away as a team? It, it hurt us all. Um, we actually have a few um, 
a few players um, from that area. One of our uh, teammates, um, Josh Martin, he went to Lower Marion. Um, and so it really hurt us all because that's somebody like you, as, as a kid, you have these people and these figures in your life that you feel are, are indestructible. Like nothing can happen to them. You know, we had visions of Kobe and LeBron being like being those old heads um, on the uh, on the slam dunk contest uh, board, you know, just yeah. watching. Yeah. Watching them rate everybody else and, you know, for his life to be cut short, um, him and his daughter and everybody else that was um, was in that helicopter. You know, it's it, it's just tragic um, as in life. Kobe did so much for everybody and, you know, from his books to his movies to to now, you know, the Mamba and Mamba Sita Foundation, where they're just continually teaching sports and, you know, the and working with, uh, with kids, that's that's something, you know, untold. You know, he's an amazing player. Well, I think anybody who's listened to your story over the past 45 minutes would say without reservation that if Kobe Bryant knew about it, he would be very proud of it. You know, that 4 a.m. mindset, working through anything, realizing that uh, winning is a culture. And it yeah. sounds like you guys achieved the very thing that he achieved over the course of his career. So, um, Coach Clinton, thanks for, for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Hey, great to be here. And we appreciate, you know, we, we appreciate being involved and affiliated with you and all the good things you're doing. And uh, our guys uh, have great respect for you. I know that uh, the night we were up there at the, uh, the, the uh, community hall in Uptown Harrisburg. Oh, yeah, Camp Curtin. Yep, our guys uh, being locked in and with an appreciation. And my son being there as well. I remember him uh, getting in the car that night as we drove home and just being energized about having a voice and being able to make a difference in the world hmm. and uh, using politics in a po- in a very positive way. Thanks, Coach. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thank Thanks, you fellas. again, Tom, for having yep. us, man. Of course. Talk be, to you soon. Be well in this. Be well in this turbulent time.